Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. And today, my guest is Soon Yu. Positive traction, the art of taking something away to give your product more value is a strategy not many marketers tap into. Join me today as we speak with Soon, an international speaker and best-selling author, as he walks us through the importance of branding and positive traction. Soon's technique, iconic advantage, markets brands through ingenuity and unique distinction rather than recreating the wheel. Join our conversation as we break down the importance of brand recognition and how to use positive traction to keep your customers and how to grow your brand into new markets. I love nerding out on this stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. What a privilege. So I want to tell the audience, first of all, is that you have a lot of great content you know, not only on your site, but you also have a great mini course on LinkedIn that I binged on a little bit. It was very well produced and also very informative about how you can look at brands in really in a different light. I would like to take a moment, though, to if you can explain to everyone a little bit more about who you are and what makes you so amazing. <laughs> okay, well, uh, the last part actually throws me off a little bit. What makes me so amazed is sometimes it's hard to sort of toot that horn. Here's what I'd say. I'm a total brand nerd, just like you are. You know, I think uh, we're, we're very connected because we're both nerds. I always wanted to understand why people actually connect with brands in such a strong and personal way, almost as if they were human. And, and, and we have relationships with brands as if we've had relationships with people. And I always thought that, you know, somebody who was, tasked with the privilege of managing a brand, that it was actually my responsibility to make sure, because people fall in love with brands like they do with people, that, you know, as a caretaker of a brand, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I never gave people a reason to fall out of love with the brand. I never gave them the reason to even be on the fence with the brand. My job as a brand caretaker was to make sure that they were all in on loving this brand. And so, yeah, I, I think um, that was sort of the background, being a brand nerd and really trying to understand the mysteries of you know building strong brands that really resonate on a personal level. That's really what made me tick. And, you know, Jeff, you asked a little bit about what made me so amazing. I think there's two things. One, it's actually probably because I failed so much at trying to build great brands or build uh, brands from new products. You know, I've had a lot of different failures in my life. I've probably had 30 different products that I tried to launch that basically went nowhere, right? And so the mystery of how did other people build such great brands really set me on this sort of quest, that curiosity to sort of answer that question. 
And then as I dug deeper, I researched 50 companies that were obviously doing it much better than I was doing it, right? And I came to the realization that there was an intentional strategy to build brands that stood the test of time, brands that actually stood for something that you cared about, brands that actually owned that in a way that they became the standard bearer. And with longevity, they became iconic for that, what I call distinctive relevance. And I said, wow, it's an intentional strategy. There are best practices. There are principles. Why don't we write a book and share that with folks? And so that's kind of what happened. And by the way, the second thing, sort of related to the first one, that uh, I want to say I'm amazing. I've had a lot of great mentors and teachers and, you know, people who I've learned so much from, like Roger Martin, Chip Heath. I mean, I could go on. And these are people that have really influenced both how I think about what I'm supposed to be doing and, and how we're supposed to be sharing it with folks. And so anyway, give a lot of credit to them. Thank you so much for that intro. I want to, I did want to ask you, because this is a great opportunity to ask someone this question, right? In your series on the uh, that you produced on LinkedIn, you talked a little bit about, about brands like Mini, Harley Davidson, how you can, you know, hear the iconic purr of that engine, right? But also in your background, you've worked for companies such mainstays like Clorox, Right. You know, like, you know, this bleach that's just ubiquitous in every single supermarket, anywhere you go, almost anywhere in the world. What I'm curious to learn from you is how different is it to market a mainstay product like that versus a niche type product like like a Harley Davidson? You know, it speaks to a specific demographic, speaks to a very specific price point. What kind of differences can you talk about between, you know, first of all, what's so different about those, but also like, what's the same? Because, you know, when we're talking about product branding, you know, we can be talking about the keys, my car, these headphones, this microphone, like you can literally point to anything in the room and say, well, that's a brand. That's why I bought it. What a astute question. I'm giving you a lot of credit for asking that question. And is there sort of a distinction between marketing what I call common day household type brands versus fashion brands? Remember, I, I, I used to work at VF and we own 30 different fashion houses, North Face Bands, Timberland, Seven for Mankind, Kipling. I could go on, right? 30 brands. And I think let's take it from two perspectives to answer your question. One as the marketer and then two the marketer as it relates to trying to appeal to the consumer or customer. So as a marketer, here's one thing I've learned that, you know, I was at, when I was at Clorox, I managed the toilet bowl cleaning brand, <laughs> the Clorox toilet bowl cleaner, right? And so even when you're managing something like toilet bowl cleaners, a pretty unsexy area, I learned that as a marketer, you know, if you're truly passionate about brands and you're brand nerd, it doesn't matter if it's a toilet bowl cleaner or if it's the North Face or if it's Vans or if it's, you know, something really sexy like, uh, you know, like BMW or, or, or Porsche. You treat that brand like your kid. You know, you want to make sure your kid is clothed. You want to make sure your kid is fed, gets the best education in the world. And your kid is given all the you know, a fair shot at everything. And so, you know, you you get this sense of brand ownership, regardless of the type of brand, if you truly are somebody that are, is passionate about building brands. So that that's something I found universal uh, among great brand builders is it's not necessarily the product. It's how they become attached to it and how they actually feel a sense of ownership in terms of representing and being uh, building that brand. Now, as it relates to you know, different categories, you know, there are different levels of what I would consider uh, branding. There is 
a visual branding, there's functional branding, uh, there's emotional branding, and then to me, then there's the highest level of iconic branding. And I'll say this, regardless of the product, you want to get to the level where you become iconic. Many brands you see, and then that's the brand, and whatever you see, the visual representation sort of uh, brings, you know, brings that to mind. Products like toilet bowl cleaners, they tend to live on the functional level, right? Like, hey, does it clean the stuff you want to clean, right? Is my toilet bowl clean afterwards? And of course, I would say that you have to at least meet that minimum of, hey, we're as good as everybody else. And, you know, yes, you could probably spend a lot of time and energy trying to explain why the bleach in my product is so much better than the bleach in somebody else's product. But I find that the marginal return on that is not as great. In fact, one of the best campaigns that we had and, and one that scored the highest by, I would say, almost three or four times when we did those, those, those you know, um, uh, copy or, or ad type scoring was when we actually animated the toilet. And we actually made the toilet come to life. It was like a claymation uh, representation of the toilet. And it talked about, you know, how wonderful the toilet felt after using Clorox toilet bowl cleaner. And I think what happened is, is, is we dug a little bit deeper. It, it one, it personified a part of the, <laughs> part of your house that you probably didn't put much thought into it. But in many ways, Jeff, we have a very intimate relationship with the toilet bowl. And we probably spend more time with the toilet bowl than some of our friends, right? And the fact that this part of our life was now telling us that they were happy it actually helped us translate to us being happy. And that spoke, spoke to a much more emotional level. And as I said, owning both having the best bleach, but then the benefit of that bleach, the emotional benefit of that bleach, me, making you happy and clean, clean and happy, and having that over time allowed you to become iconic. So uh, that was a long way of saying, I think it's universal. Uh, thank you for that explanation, but I want to dig a little, just a little bit deeper or maybe zoom out a little bit. I don't know. I, uh, from your perspective, you tell me which one's which, <laughs> but uh, you, you know, like a Harley, you know, I can buy in all kinds of different colors and all kinds of different styles. Clorox bleach has that same iconic blue and white and maybe one other signature color on there. And like, that's it. That hasn't changed in like forever, right? How important are those simple elements towards branding something that is more functional, important versus getting it right, you know, with an iPhone, if I get it like Pacific blue or rose gold or a space gray, things like that. How do those simple elements coalesce into the overall brand into making it iconic? Yeah, sure. So I think let's talk about the idea of marketing and, and the money and time and energy you're spending towards marketing. I think for functional uh, products, you probably spend a disproportionate more amount of time talking about some of the functional elements. Okay. So let's say 80% function, but I would say there's still 20% about, you know, the emotional part of it. I, I we heard consistent that you could sell any toilet bowl cleaner, but, and, and a lot of them have bleach, you know, uh, a lot of the competitors also have bleach in it. Right. But the fact that you actually have Clorox in there, it does a couple of things. One, it obviously creates a higher standard. But then what is that higher standard that people attach to the Clorox name? It makes it actually, and we've done research on this, it makes people, especially moms, because moms tend to buy this more than dads, it makes them feel like they're being a better parent, okay? That they're, they're actually buying the best 
and making sure that the house is as cleanly as possible so that they are taking care of their entire family. And that's in a much more emotional space. Now, are we spending 80% of the effort on that? Generally, probably not, because you definitely want to make sure you, uh, you know, tackle some of the functional requirements inside. They call that the point of parity. You know, one of the most successful campaigns for the Clorox 2, which is a brightener, you know, so it's a color brightener you put in, and it was, uh, it was actually the song, and I can't sing it now that you asked me, but, you know, Mama, it's like the Mama song. And that was, again, it was all touching on emotional cues. That song made, it was sort of a kind of a Caribbean uh, note to it, and it really uh, brought home the idea that Mama knows best, okay? And the Mama that knows best and knows how to take care of his family is actually buying Clorox, Steve. Now, on a Harley, yeah, at the store level, you're probably going to have the store person talk about the functionality of that product. Right? You're going to talk about, oh, how many, you know, how much horsepower does it have? And, you know, what's the, but a lot of it is about probably how you feel and what it looks like. And you see Harley's driving and it's all about the aesthetic and the mindset that you have when you're actually on a Harley. And so 80% of the marketing effort that most people, the first pass, that's what they get. But when you still get the store level, they're still going to talk about some of the fun- functional aspects of it. You know, oh, these brakes are generation 2.5 versus the brakes previously, and these wheels are this big and all that, right? So I think sometimes, yes, there's probably a disproportion in terms of what you emphasize, but I still think you touch both on functional uh, aspects for emotional brands and emotional aspects for functional brands. You know, anecdotal, I want to tell you a quick story. So my wife is now three years living here in the United States. And for me, you know, in my family, before I got remarried, I have been a streaming guy, right? I have not paid for cable in like 10 years. And it just so happened that we moved into this new house and the, you know, getting cable with internet happened to be cheaper than just getting internet on its own. So lo and behold, now we have cable right? With all the 500 channels and, you know, all that stuff that comes with it. So what happens? My wife is now not only binging on all these great programs, you know, that she heard about, you know, like the House Hunters International. She really loves those home decor shows, right? But it's the commercials, right? Now for me growing up here, you know, experiencing commercials, I'm just like, shoot me now because I'm like, I don't want to watch commercials anymore. I just spent the past 10 years, you know, paying for Netflix, Amazon, Disney, you know, all these streaming services. So I don't have to see not one more commercial. She literally turns the volume up on them, right? She wants to watch these commercials. And she's like, how am I supposed to learn about these brands if I don't see the commercials and interact with them? And she's hundred percent correct. Right. So I've started to embrace the commercials a little bit. And I think the funniest parts are when, you know, these commercials are modernized, but they still use the jingles from 20 years ago. You know, the jingles that I can sing in my head. Right. So I just start like humming along or singing to them. That just totally blows her away. Right. It, It just creates a fun experience. And I think it's really interesting, you know, because at the end of the day, we go to a Whole Foods, we go to a Publix, the big shopping, uh, big grocery store chain here, you know, and we end up buying those brands. Why? Because now she has an affinity affinity to them, which I thought was absolutely amazing. I didn't even think about it in those terms. And when I go to Brazil, you know, which is where she's from, I now start to pay attention to that as well. Like I look at, you know, like some of the products that we bought here and then I see them on the store shelves over there. And it's like, those are the only products that I'm going to buy because I know what they taste like. I know what kind of experience they're going to give me. And then like, I don't have to think as hard about 
you know, being able to speak the language fluently or semi-fluently or, you know, wherever I am on the spectrum. So I think that it creates this totally different experience in, in my opinion. Yeah. So I do the commercials. I think they're very interesting. Do you ever watch, I don't know if you stream Netflix or, but there's previews, right? Basically those are commercials. And sometimes I, I find myself with a half an hour, I'm just going through previews and they're just as entertaining as almost watching the entire movie, right? It's funny. Oh my God. I considered my movie experience not complete if I got there right at the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah. Right? You. Whether I'm doing it in the, you know, in the theater or at home, it's like, I got to watch it. And now, you know, it's like, I see a lot of this stuff on YouTube and like, I binge on, I binge on a lot of this stuff. Like, I, like not only do I watch the Mandalorian or the book of Boba Fett, I am watching 10 to 15 other, you know, like, uh, did you find all these Easter eggs? Did you understand this? Part? Did <laughs> yep. you this part? And, it, you know, it's like, yeah, that's where we diverge. That's where we diverge, right? Whereas she's just like, can't give a crap about what's going on with the Mandalorian. Whereas I got to know every little detail and every small character and just all the way across the board. So, all right. So cool. So thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to switch gears here and talk about what you describe as signature elements for making a brand. Right. And, you know, like for, you know, let's just break this down. Like the easy part for my show, right. It's a, you know, I have a logo with a, a you know, with an arrow on it and the arrow looks like it's in motion and there's a negative space for a microphone. And I felt like, yeah, I feel that that represents my podcast. Great. You know, not everybody may agree, but then again, not everyone agrees that, you know, Google's recent uh, icon change for Chrome was great either. Right. So it's like, okay, you know, they're going to be haters, you know, on either side, but let's talk a little bit about what makes a signature element and how you can incorporate it into your brands. How does that look in your world? Well, okay. Let's just use you as an example, Jeff, in your brand. Okay. Yes, I see the arrow and it's very, I would, I would give it a pretty high marks in terms of logo design. I, I bet there's probably some symbolism and a backstory to that. And I think on a second level, as people get to know you and they dive deeper, it's great. But on first pass, what are you best known for? It's the idea of owning the one big tip, right? And if you go throughout your entire library, it's really this idea that, hey, here's the, who's the one big tip guy? It's Jeff. Everyone knows that's Jeff. And it's more than that. It's how you manifest it. Even as you were prepping me for this call right before we got on the stream, you basically said, look, this is how I define one big tip. It's one. It's not 20, right? You're not going to give me 20 tips. It's the one that matters most. It's the one that you are going to feel that's important enough that you want to share. So that first, it was singular. Two, it was this idea that it was digestible. You kind of said to me, I want this podcast to be something where people can basically listen to minute they get in the car to when they're going to their grocery store, right? Depending on if they live in the suburbs or if they live, you know. And so to me, that's this idea of being very digestible. And the last thing you said is it has to be practical. It has to be actionable. So the way you've done that and the way you've asked that for all your uh, guests, it's the same thing. And that, that is your signature, okay? And I could care less if you lost the logo and it became a oval or a diamond or whatever. But if you lost the one big tip, I'm like, what happened to Jeff? You know, what, what, that's his signature. And the fact that you've gone from, you know, 12 podcasts to over 60 podcasts a year to now probably 100 podcasts, all on this one idea, more power to you. So my big tip for everybody is this. 
do you know, do you have a signature element? If you don't, you need one. And I think this is important in terms of building products and brands, but also I think on a personal level, I think it's actually very useful. You know, at the end of the day, people only have so much time to get to know you. They only have so much uh, attention and focus, and there's a lot of noise out there. So how do you rise above all that noise and how do you create leverage? The leverage is this idea of having a signature that you are best known for. And a good test of this is, let's say you have a B2B business. Fine, let's talk B2B, that doesn't have to be B2C. If you were to pull 20 of your customers, not even 20, three, let's just say pull three of your customers, and they said, what's Jeff best known for? If they couldn't answer, boy, you're in trouble. Okay, so let's assume they can at least answer that, okay? All right, that's hurdle number one. Hurdle number two is, would they say the same thing? Fortunately for you, I bet if you pulled three of your guests from the last two years, everyone say he's the one big tip guy, okay? Okay, so the other sort of a litmus test on this, if, if, whether or not you have a good signature, isn't that folk that it's, by the way, not only do they say the same, uh, do they say something, but they all say the same thing. So sometimes you have three guests and, and they'll say three different things, you're in trouble there, okay? So assume they say the same thing. Then is what they say, meaningful to them and relevant and it, to me it is it's like okay I, I if i knew i had another one big tip i contact you and say hey can i get on your show right so and then the last thing i would say is does it stand out versus the competition in a distinctive way and i would say absolutely so you pass all the litmus tests required to have a great signature bring three of your customers together would they say anything yes please would they say the same thing yes would they Say something that is relevant to them. Absolutely. And would they say something that nobody else that's your competitor could claim? Yes. You've scored 100% all the key litmus tests for creating a great signature. So for your audience, I'd say the same thing. Ask those questions of yourself. And if you fail on any one of those, you need to work on having a much better signature. Well, first of all, thank you for that. That's why I get the free consulting on the <laughs> you want a podcast for their guests. But no, I mean, uh, that's also very, it's very interesting on how you, uh, on how you illustrated that. Because when I get people that, you know, to ask me, because I help people also cr- structure their podcast and to get it out there, you know, basically as a podcast strategist, right? And a lot of people try to come up with these cutesy names. And I'm just like, no, wait a second. What's your name? Soon you? No, the Soon You po- podcast. Like, that's it. Or... You know, like the customer experience with this guy or, or the high ticket sales guru with that guy, right? Basically what you want is that you want it to be in easily distinguishable so that people understand, like if you're going to go up and, you know, stand up straight, pull your shoulders, shoulders back and declare, I'm the one big tip guy, then that's it. Great. I own it. Right. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you know, there could, you know, Joe Rogan tomorrow can say like, well, I want to do one big tips as well. He may partially overshadow me, but he won't completely overshadow me because it's something that I got up and did. It doesn't matter whether I have 10 followers or, or 500 million, like, you know, like he does. Uh, Basically what's interesting about all that is I tell people just get up and do it. Like, what are you known for? You know, I have this one friend of mine, you know, here in the area, he now calls him Henry, the real estate agent, Henry, the, the realtor. Great. It's a great tagline. You know, he's Henry. He's a realtor. He's Henry the realtor. Boom. I told him that's it. Stop. End of story. That's your brand. Run with it. That's great. That's great. And it's amazing. 
right? You know, because it's something that you can really latch onto. You don't really need to think about it as you talk about it, it just sort of rolls off. You know, so you don't, you don't really have to go through and rehearse. Well, wait a second. Am I the real estate guy today? Am I the podcast guy today? Am I, am I the star Wars guy today? You know, like whatever it is, it's very easy to create that kind of identity. And once you create it, and like you said, you know, if it passed all those tests, is it memorable? Is it actionable? And can I do something with it? Then great. You know, then that's exactly what people should be doing. So thank you so much for sharing that. I want to wrap this up. Uh, by basically, you know, asking where can people find you if they want to learn more about who you are, uh, the books that you have out. I'm going to have that link in, you know, for that LinkedIn course, you know, that mini LinkedIn course that you have, which is amazingly produced. Where can people find you? How can they learn more about you? Sure. So, you know, you can find me obviously on my website. It's uh, www.soonyu.com. It's S-O-O-N-Y-U.com. And you can find my contact information. You can find my, you know, a Twitter handle, which is at soon speaks, but you can find it all there. And, and so it's pretty easy access and you can email me there if you need to get hold of me. And by the way, on that LinkedIn one, uh, what's so great about that is actually it was a partnership with LinkedIn where uh, most of their content is what we call behind the wall, which is something you'd actually have to pay a subscription service for. But they decided they wanted one or two of these that were in front of the wall that were obviously uh, sort of a teaser and give people a taste of what's behind the wall. And so I partnered with them on being uh, in front of the wall. And so it's actually free to everybody. And I would encourage you just to go to LinkedIn uh, Learning and you can type in my name, Soon You, and you can have, I, I think there's a full, uh, you know, 30 minute course on how to build timeless brands. And it's a lot of what we talked about today on your show, Jeff. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that today. This has been an excellent conversation. I love nerding out on this stuff (laughs) and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you very much, Jeff. And thank you for uh, owning the idea of One Big Tip. Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable one big tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action and starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.